You are listening to a 14-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Acts. Luke, the author of Acts, tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, that the Gospels were only the beginning of all Jesus did and taught. The book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' ministry on earth through the church, and this story is continuing today. This sermon series will address key themes in the book of Acts and connect them with our lives today. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are in this series uh, in the book of Acts, and uh, the book of Acts is a sequel uh, to the book of Luke, the prequel. And Luke, who wrote both of those in Acts, he starts off and says, hey, the, the the purpose of me write, or the purpose of me writing the first book to you, Luke, was to tell you just the beginning of what Jesus did, and now through the story of the church, I'm going to tell you everything that Jesus continues to do. So when when Jesus uh, died and and was buried, then rose and ascended into heaven, he wasn't done on earth, but he was going to continue and continues to minister uh, through the church. And so this series in Acts is called Unfinished Business because we are, as a church, are meant to finish that. And so we are looking at all these aspects of the early church uh, through that lens. So we talked about the Holy Spirit, we've talked about community, but it's all in the context of this mission that Jesus has given us. And today we're going uh, to talk about money. Now, uh, the, the subject of money, uh, I've talked about a lot of things this year. I've talked about homosexuality. I've talked about, uh, you know, some intense race issues. We've got four or five people in this church that came up here and told you their deepest, darkest secrets. But it's, it's, this is the one that's like, what, you're going to talk about money? What are you going to talk about? And, um, and w- by the way, we, we are receiving this big church planning fund offering today, but, but I want you just to say, I just want to say this from the beginning, that, that this isn't about us, that I, I'm not doing this message so that we, we can have a big offering today. That's not why I'm doing, we don't, we're not into, if you've been here for a while, uh, we're not into these emotionally contrived speeches and, and demonstrations to tug at the heartstrings to get you uh, to give, that's that's not what we do. We don't gather the largest givers in a group of rooms, serve them dinner, and talk about the vision of the church. We don't have this strategy for uh, fundraising per se. Uh, but but our hope is that we hey we're gonna we're gonna talk about the gospel. We're gonna live out the gospel, and we're going to uh, look at what it looks like to be Jesus. And now. Uh, Jesus, it says in uh, Corinthians that he, though he was rich, became poor so that in his poverty, we can become rich. And we believe that as we take Jesus to the very, who he is, uh, to the very center of our heart, we're, we're just going to be generous. Um, we, we also believe that, you know, Jesus uh, pays for what he orders. He doesn't go to a restaurant, order a meal, and then dash and expect someone else to pay for it. We believe that he ordered this church. We believe that he will provide uh, for this church. So we're not like all stressed out about, you know, the, the money and, or anything like that. But, but what we, so why am I talking about money today? It's not to persuade those who aren't giving to give. My, my hope for you is that you would encounter the grace and mercy of God. Uh, so the reason why we are, I am wanting to talk about money today is I want to talk to those of us who are giving both systematically and in larger chunks that you're not crazy. That's what I want to do. I want to say, hey, we're, you're not crazy for doing this. Uh, that's my goal today. 
uh, because there's nothing out in culture that says this is a good idea. Nowhere in, in our culture are you going to hear anyone say, hey, the way to life, the way to get the most out of life is that you systematically give your money away. And then every once in a while, you clear out your bank account or you sell something to give it to someone else. No one's going to say, no, you're not going to be encouraged in that activity. There, there's no sitcom about that. There's no, there, there's no blog about, there's nothing that's going to encourage you in that. So we need the Bible. We need the Holy Spirit to say that we're not crazy. And, and that's what happens today. Because when you look at this New Testament community, it looks crazy. It looks crazy now and it looked crazy then. They were this economic subculture within the greater culture because they spent money a certain way. They spent money. They didn't spend money like culture, yet they were more fulfilled. They, di- they didn't hoard like the world hoards, but yet they were more secure. Uh, they, they, they gave away um, and they put at risk their nest egg, but yet, but yet they were totally provided for. And we, if we live that way, we'll be that way. We'll be this economic subculture within the greater culture because they just gave money away. Anyone who, it says right here, it says, um, let me just read it for you. It says, anyone who had a, no one claimed any possession of their own, but anyone who had a need, they just gave to that. There was, it was just unreasonable amount of generosity that was, caused people to say, this is unexplainable. This is, this is unnecessary. This is, un, this is unreasonable. And yet, and yet it says things like they had favor with people. Because deep down inside, everyone knows that a, a society will be better off if everyone gives to each other. And that's what was happening, is that they, in the midst of this generosity, they were having massive, massive favor. But here's the deal. Everyone may say, hey, yeah, you should give to people, but no one does. So why did they? Well, there's, there's a few reasons, but the biggest one is that they experienced the grace of God. They experienced the grace of God. In verse 33, if you have your Bibles in your lap there, it says that there was great grace upon them all. And grace changes people. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, this grace that I have received in my life is not without effect. It's changed me. It's transformed me. It's made me, it's transformed my desires. It's transformed my actions. And it transformed this community. Uh, And one of the primary ways that it, it transformed them, the grace transformed them, it transformed their attitude toward money. It transformed their attitude toward who owned the money because it says, that nobody said anything um, belonged to them. Everybody in the society said, nothing belongs to me. Nothing belongs to me. Nothing belongs to me. It absolutely transformed uh, who actually owned the money. And this is, prob- this is the first and the biggest transformation that will happen to your attitude toward money when God's grace hits your heart, is that you see that there's a different owner. A couple Christmases ago, I got my, uh, we got my son uh, this smoke control car, and usually, I don't know about you, you know, sometimes you give gifts that secretly you just want to get yourself, and so that's why you give them, and this smoke control car was like that. It was awesome, and so it had like these big wheels, it would go over anything, and if it didn't, it'd flip or something, you'd hit a wall and flip back, and just, and so my son opens up this gift, he starts to play with it for a while, and I'm like, hey, Simon, let me, let me have it, let me have that. He ignores me. So I'm like, Simon... Let me, let me use the, let me play with that car. He continues to ignore me. So I put my hand on his, on, on the remote and he looks at me and says, that is my toy. 
And I'm like, well, hold on a second. First of all, I am physically bigger than you, and I will use that to my advantage. But secondly, secondly, if there is no me, there is no toy. I mean, you understand what just happened 20, 30 minutes ago. That I gave you that toy. But something happened when it, when it got in his possessions, when it was in his hands, somehow something, he, he thought this was mine and somehow, you know, I and I alone will determine who uses this. Which is exactly the attitude that we have with God. I mean, and theoretically, we agree with James who says every perfect gift comes from our Father above. But when it gets in our possessions, we go psycho. Something happens to us. This is, this, is, this is now my money and I don't have enough of it, so back off. But when grace impacts your soul, when grace comes into your life, you begin to say things like this early church did. Says, Nobody said anything was theirs. It absolutely transformed who owned their money. When you experience grace, you see it differently. You look at money in your possession, it's not emotional for you. You don't feel like you need it. You don't think that you need it. And therefore, you're not overly preoccupied when it starts being released from your hands. I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm talking about in your spending. I'm talking about being irresponsible in your giving. If you haven't experienced grace, you're a little touchy. You're a little defensive. You get a little irritated when people start approaching your wallet. You're a little bit on guard. But if you've experienced grace, you, know, you may be sad if someone asks you for money because you may not have enough to give them, to really help them. But you're not touchy. You're not defensive. It's not emotional for you. Because you realize that because of grace has entered your life, you realize that this is actually not yours in the first place. And you're actually leaning into being generous. You know, but you're not just leaning back, you know, hoping no one finds you. Hope I can come in and come out without anyone. You know, you go to the grocery store or whatever. Just, I just don't want anyone to ask me for anything. I just want to get in and get out. Just leave me alone. But because you have this radical... Um, change in your heart. You don't see yourself as primarily an owner, but a steward, not just a receiver, but a distributor. God's gifts aren't just supposed to go to you. They're actually supposed to go through you. And the further you, to move, the further you move from grace, the, the more likely you are, you are to think that what's in your possession is actually yours and you got to hold on to it. You remember Scrooge? Remember that guy? Christmas Carol? You know, he, the spirits show up and they, he, they show him on that Christmas Eve, they show him his greed and they show him his doom, that he sees his life after death. He sees how his greed has caused all these people misery. He sees his grave and then he sees his wasted life and he's in this miserable place and then he falls into the grave and then he suddenly wakes up and he realized that he, he thought he was dead, but he's alive and he thought... You know, he thought he lost all this money, but now he has it back. And he thought he ruined all these people's lives, but they're still there. And what happened to Scrooge at Christmas morning? He had this transformation. He was like, uh, you know, he had this attitude toward his money that he had to hold on to it. And now this Christmas morning, he's wanting to give it away. What happened to Scrooge? He had an experience of grace. He was given an undeserved 
second chance. And now he was filled with joy to give away his money. He couldn't wait to do it. He was changed by grace. Now, if the grace of a second chance can transform like that, how much more should the grace that comes from Jesus Christ transform us? That though we were once dead, we are now alive. Though we were once poor, he took his riches and gave them to us. And out of his poverty, we become rich. Because what Jesus has given us is much more than a a second chance. Uh, The grace of Jesus isn't just one more opportunity to redeem yourself. You know, everyone deserves a second chance, right? And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to give me a second chance. If, If all Jesus did was come to give me a second chance, that's just one more opportunity to see what a failure I am. To see... Uh, how below the standard that I come. I don't need one more opportunity to demonstrate that I'm not as generous as I should be, that I'm not as loving as I should be, that I I, I don't do as I ought. I, I don't need a second chance. If Jesus didn't just come to give us a second chance, he didn't just come to give us an example of morality and generosity. If all Jesus did was come to give us an example of generosity. Now, I want you to hear me on this and stay with me. I I wish he hadn't come at all. Because the example of Jesus' generosity doesn't encourage me, it discourages me. It doesn't build me up, it absolutely crushes me because there's no way I could be like that. And every time I try, I fail. See, Jesus didn't come just to give us a a second chance. His grace is totally different. The Bible says that he came to pay the price for our failures, for the fact that we're not as generous as we should be, that we're not as loving. And, And he came to die for our past, present, and future sins. And he speaks through the gospel, I have done all these good deeds for you. I've lived the life that you should live. I've died the death that you should die. The the grace of Jesus goes well, well beyond a second chance. And the Bible is saying it's this grace that will melt our heart and will absolutely melt away our possessiveness. That when we have an encounter with his grace, the effect is it melts away our possessiveness. Paul, in his writing to the Corinthians, I've said this already, but I'll just repeat it because it's huge. You know about the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. See, Paul, in his teaching about money, he didn't command people to give. Come on, people! Can't you see these starving children? Can't you see that you need to do this? Are you heartless? You don't let somebody else freeze tonight? He didn't say that at all. He didn't command them to give. Although, I mean, I think no one would agree that, you know, we see someone in, in dire need. You know, there's, you know, the unrighteous will do a telethon to raise money for people in need, but that's not his motivation. He appealed to something. He just simply reminded him of God's grace. To say, you know what? It's not crazy to give away your nest egg. It's not crazy to take a piece of land and sell it and give it to someone who doesn't. It's not a crazy thing to do. You know why? Because actually that is the effect of God's grace on your life. It's proof positive that you have experienced 
the grace of God. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to like say, hey, you know, guys, we've got this, we've got, we've got plans, we have needs, we've, you know, there's people to reach. We don't have much time, we've got to get going. I, I just want to remind us of God's grace this morning. Um, are you aware of God's grace this morning? Are you aware of his grace in his life? Our generosity is a reflection of that grace. You know what? It, it's a reflection. Our generosity is a reflection of something else. I, I was a stockbroker for six years. And those in business, you know, like that, that term bottom line, that money is referred to as the bottom line. So what's the bottom line? You know, that's the bottom line. So, you know, you could be looking at a company and, you know, yeah, their, their management could be messed up or they could have some problems over here and, you know, whatever. And things are trending this way, trending that way. But what's the bottom line? Are they making money or they're not? They make money, buy. Not make money, sell. That's the bottom line. That, 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 gets, that tells you if you're progressing. That tells you, okay, at the end of the day, what, what, what is it? it? It tells you how you're really doing. You know, you might be surprised to say that the Bible says money is the bottom line in your life. Money is the bottom line in your life. Because you can talk about how much you love God. You could talk about what his grace means to you. You could talk about what uh, uh, your brothers and sisters in this community mean to you. You you can talk about that, but what is the bottom line? How how do you get underneath it all? How can you get underneath what's really in your heart? What is the bottom line? The Bible says the bottom line in your life is how you view and spend your money. Jesus says, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Wherever your passion, your affections, what you really, really want in life, that's where your money is. That, that's where your money goes. It, it's, it's, a, it's a correlation. And you can see that different ways. You, if you want to know where your heart is, just look where your money goes. And if you don't like that, the Bible, the, another way of looking at it, if you throw your heart into something else, your, your money will follow. Or if you put your money somewhere else, your heart will follow. You, where you put your money and your passion are one and the same. And here's the thing. You, you will give effortlessly. You will give effortlessly to whatever it is your God is. Effortless. If, 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 God, if the God of the Bible is your God, you will effortlessly give to him. It'll be effortless. There won't be any check in your, like, should I do, should I not? Whatever it is, but, but it, so if salvation for you comes from somewhere else, so if salvation is in your clothes or in your looks or in your hobbies or your house or in your relationships, in your romance, in your status, that's where money effortlessly goes. Well, of course I need to buy these clothes. Of course I need to, I need to, I need to maintain this status. Of, of course buying a house is a great investment. It's effortless. But is it, is it effortless? Is, 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 so buying a house is a good investment. Is, is putting money into the poor and church planning, is that a good investment? Our, where we put our money is our bottom line. Now, it, it's important to see when that hits us to be like, oh dear, that doesn't speak well of me. The point is to say, well, maybe I've missed something. In God's grace. Maybe I haven't fully received something from God. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm seeing this all wrong. And that is what Jesus was trying to um, teach the rich young ruler. 
He said, hey, you, you cannot be saved. You cannot be my disciple unless you sell everything and give it to the poor. Now, does anybody else find that a little harsh? Seems a little harsh. Uh, I can't follow you. I can't be saved unless I sell everything. You kidding me? I mean, I've never sold all my possessions. Have you sold all your possessions? I don't think Jesus was saying, oh, I know Jesus wasn't saying that the requirement is that everybody sells everything to follow Jesus. But here's what he was trying to do with this guy. He was trying to bring freedom to his life because he knew that his bottom line was money. That's, that was what his God was. And so Jesus comes along and wants to give his grace to him, saying, look, you're never going to receive who I am if, if you're actually wanting to follow money. He came to bring him freedom, and that's what he says to us. If what it, whatever, whatever has us, whatever, whatever is our bottom line, God, God wants to give us a, an experience of his grace. Grace changes our attitude tr- toward who owns our money. And when, when God releases us from, this is my money, this is my money, then we, we begin to give recklessly. And I just want to say, for those of us who are in that camp, you're not crazy for doing that. You're not crazy for giving away. I know there's nothing out there that says this is a good idea, but you're not. It is in line with receiving the grace in God. It is a reasonable thing to do. Grace changes how we view uh, possession. It also changes how we view procedure in our giving. Before we encounter grace, we are passive and spontaneous only in our giving. So, uh, you know, before, you know, like Scrooge, you know, people have to come find us. Hey, if you can find me, and if you can find me in the right mood at the right time, with, you know, if I've got a few extra dollars in my pocket, then maybe, just maybe, I'll give. It's, it's passive, and it's, it's spontaneous, and it's, it's every, the stars have to align for, for that to happen. And th- this community here is, uh, the early church was, ac- was, ac- was active and intentional, just like Scrooge was the next morning. How can I give this money away? He was strategizing. How can I, he was very intentional, very active when he encountered grace. And this community was very active and intentional. How can we meet needs? Um, there were 10, 15,000 people in the church at this point. And, I, I, and it says that there was no needs among them. Now, I'm sure there were some people in there say, hey, I've got a need, I've got a need. And, you know, they worked that out somehow. But there had to have been people who were just looking for people who, who had a need that they could fill. It had to be that way. How can I use, so the question that preoccupied them is how can I use what God has given me, which isn't mine anyway, to bless someone else? They were leaning in. They weren't leaning back. Somebody has to, if you're leaning back, if you're passive, somebody has to really, you know, tug at your heartstrings. Somebody has to really guilt you into doing this. But when you're, when you're active and intentional, it's just, you're, you're looking for those opportunities. That's what Paul was able to say of the, of the believers in Macedonia and Jerusalem to the church in Corinth. It's like, they were, they asked me for the opportunity to give to you. Earnestly asking me. Pressing in, active and intentional. It's not crazy to do that. And I've just been so blessed uh, at this church over the years. We, you know, we've been a church for 17 years. And 
people have been so active and so radical in their generosity. It's such a, it's such a blessing to see that kind of community in action. Over the years, people have given away uh, cars to people who didn't have cars. They've emptied vacation funds. They've emptied savings accounts. People uh, have given systematically and then gone way beyond that systematic percentage giving to, to, bless, and, to bless people and to give to uh, the mission moron. We've had a, uh, when we were building this, the building here in the city location, um, one businessman offered to triple what, what the rest of us gave. Somebody said, hey, I will triple what every, so I'm like, hey guys, let's bankrupt this guy. Let's like, let's really like, do it. And, um, you know, the check uh, didn't bounce. Uh, so we failed, but it was a good kind of failure. And so we, yeah, and so it was amazing. It, that's not crazy either. I mean, you've got this guy Barnabas, who is obviously a wealthy guy, who, who sold this piece of property, uh, which is a prestigious thing. And he sold that and quietly, he didn't trumpet it, he quietly went to the apostle, hey, here's, here's the money for that. And that's not crazy. It, he gave an extravagant amount. Some of you may have the means to give extravagant amount. It's not crazy that you do that. It's in line with the grace of God. And I just want to say this though really quick. So because the Bible commands those who have lots of money not to be conceited in their wealth. Barnabas did not fund that early church. And this businessman who gave three times the amount the rest of us gave did not build this building. His name is nowhere in this building, unless he marked it somewhere I couldn't find yet. But there's no, he didn't, he's not responsible for funding this. The grace of God is responsible for funding this church. The grace of God is responsible for funding the early church. Now, but this is what God does. God pours out grace on people. And it goes to us, and it's meant to go through us. We're like the executor of a will. You know what an executor of a will is? They have this responsibility and even discretion. They're the ones in charge to determine where money goes. But ultimately, the the best executors, they follow the instructions of the real owner who gave them this responsibility. You're like an executor of a will. That, that, That yes, some of this money comes to you, but you're meant to distribute it out to others. That is the meaning of your wealth. The reason why we have extra, the reason why we have, you know, attics full of stuff and basements full of stuff, the reason why we have extra is f- not necessarily for us, but for others. It says I've, in Second Corinthians 9 uh, that God gives us a sufficiency for us, but he gives an abundance for every good work. And we're meant to distribute that. So it's, it's not, it's not, you know, you know, we just need somebody with big bucks and that'll take care of it. No, 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 no. God can, God can give someone money and God can take that money away. It's God's in charge. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his. We don't own it. We don't need to suck up to someone. And we just need the, the grace of God to be present in our community. And if the grace of God is present in our community, you know, we're, we're going to realize, hey, we don't own this. We're going to be leaning in. We're going to be intentional. And that's the way God works. So I want us, I, God's going to make this church. He's going to fund this church no matter what. But I want us all to be free 
in this category to say, hey, I can be a participant in this. So, so you see this kind of grace, the, the effect of grace on this community was that they're generous. Another reason why they're generous is because of this great unity. It says in verse 32 that the full number, not one third, not a, a slight majority, but the full number, which is around ten or 15,000 of those who believed were one heart and soul. Just amazing, amazing. The most unified people are the most generous people. And that's how it works in, in our life. The people that we're the most generous with, typically, is the ones that we feel the closest connection to, the most unified. So in a family, think about how the family works. Man, if, if, if we're having steak tonight, we're all eating steak. It's not like I get steak and the rest of you get, you know, some mac and cheese cast or whatever, you know, just, or if we're all, we're all eating the same food together. We're all living under the same roof. We're, we're generally, you know, in the same car. We're, we're going on the same vacations. We're all experiencing the same thing. It, it would not be good of me if I owned a, a brand new car, a brand new bass boat, uh, nice brand new clubs, golf clubs. You know, my kids has had ratty clothes and no books for their school and, you know, just, you know, they, that, that's not how a family works. You know, you're united together and I'm willing to lower my standard of living to raise up the standing or living of my family. And Jesus says, you know, the church is a family. Yeah, it's not crazy to lower your standard of living to raise a standard of living for someone else. This great unity that they had. And this is something God put in and something that he prophesied through Jeremiah you know, hundreds of years ago before this happened. In Jeremiah 32, it says, I am going to give them a new heart. Ezekiel used this language. I'm going to take out the old heart of stone and put a pumping heart of flesh. I'm going to give them a new heart. And it says that I will be their God and they will be my people. And it says this, he says, I'm going to give them a single heart, a singleness of purpose. I'm going to bring them together as one. The effect of God's grace in your life is generosity, but it's also unity, which leads to more generosity. And that's what you see here. They, they were, they were uh, people who received grace and received this unity, and, and that's another reason why they're generous. They were also generous because of boldness. In the earlier section, it said the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were full of boldness. And, and I think the reason why that most people would... Um, lack in generosity isn't because they're, you know, they're at home like cackling, counting their money, you know, just like, you know, I'm just, that's what you do. You're just really stingy and intentionally stingy. I I don't think that's true. I I think most people may struggle with generosity because they're afraid. They're they're afraid to be as generous as they really want to be. They're afraid to let it go in, in, in fear that they may not have enough. We're afraid. And Jesus knows this. That's why he says in Matthew 6, hey, little flock. He knows we're just these freaked out little sheep. He says, hey, little flock. Seek first the kingdom of God. Sell your possessions and give the poor. Hey, but don't worry. You have a father in heaven who loves you. You see the sparrows? He takes care of them. See the lilies in the field? He takes care of them. And then it says that, it, that he, does, he doesn't just say those words of us that we, we know that objectively true, that that's, but and then he sends a spirit that fills us with boldness because we know that we have the love of the Father. We just don't think we're sons. We know we're sons. We feel like sons. We feel like daughters. 
And we're filled with boldness because we know that we have a Father in heaven that loves us. We need boldness. We need an encounter with God. Maybe you need to experience grace today. Maybe you need to know that God's drawing you together in a community like family. Maybe you need, to, maybe you need boldness. And then it was great love that led them to generosity. Meeting needs. That's an amazing thing. You know, God, most of what the Bible says about giving and money has to do with our heart. That, that's a, he's not trying to get something from us. He's trying to get something to us. You know, he comes right out and says, hey, look, you know, hey, if I really, if I was hungry, I'm not going to come ask you for money. Really? You know, I, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I own the thousand hills. I own the cattle. I own everything. I, I don't, I'm not coming to get something from you. But he, the main teaching about the Bible on money and giving is, to, is, is for our own heart. But it's such an amazing thing that when we do give, it does have an effect on other people. It's amazing that God gives us that opportunity to affect and to bless other people. And it has this massive ripple effect, a ripple effect beyond what we'll ever know. I think the impact that we're having in this life for the kingdom of God is something that we can't even really comprehend. Uh, You know, in Luke 16, Jesus says that you should use your worldly wealth to make friends. And what he's saying there is that there's a way to use your money to store up treasures in heaven. And those treasures are people. There's, there's a way that you can use your money to, to, for, for good. And, and so it's very possible that when you go to heaven, you may have someone come up to you and hug you and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't thank you for what? You know, I don't even know you. Hey, but you, you gave. You, you gave time. You, you gave money. And because of that, I heard the gospel and I'm here and I'm saying thank you. You know, the Bible says that when, we, when this life is over, our homes are gone, our clothes are gone, our, our money is gone, everything is gone, and yet it could be standing right in front of you because you invested in his kingdom and not in things that are transient, things that are here today and gone tomorrow. You can invest in, in something that will grow exponentially for eternity. You know, when I was a broker, I talked about long-term investing, but that is long, long-term investing. Very long. You can meet needs. And that's what we've noticed here. Over the past 17 years, we've just seen as we've given money and said, hey, God, here's what we have. You, you take it. He blesses it, and people are affected. Lives are changed. And we, I just want to show you about a seven, eight-minute video of just what's happened in the past year. You know, we've been in existence for 17 years and we've seen lots of amazing stories, but I just want to show you a, a little bit of what's happened last year of how uh, the money that we've pulled together to give, the effect that it's had. Let's show this video. Our passion at Jubilee is to pattern our lives after the New Testament church. And as you open the pages of Acts, you, you see this community that's constantly experiencing life change, that's enjoying one another in community, that's receiving the grace of God and not given to legalism, that's willing to serve not just each other, but the city around them, and that is constantly looking to plant new churches and, and strengthen existing ones. looking for a church that you know just had a congregation of people who were seeking God who wanted to learn more about God and um, 
I really feel like I've found that here at Jubilee. I really found the community that I needed and most importantly the relationship with Jesus that I needed. He's just shown me how big he is and how he answers prayers. You know my first Sunday here I just came and uh, you know during worship uh, I just felt his presence near me. He really just spoke to me about like remembering that when we do give our lives to him it's like the chalkboard's wiped clean. All of it's gone and all that baggage just gets left on the corner. When God spoke to me in a dream, he uh, showed me that sin was causing my life to decay and it was destroying me and causing me to be this person that I never wanted to be. Later on in that dream, he showed me that through him I can be restored and also changed into what he wants me to be. Being here at Jubilee for the past couple of months has helped me to understand that uh, God's grace is freedom. You know, His grace is total freedom uh, and His uh, unconditional love. And uh, for me, this is so big. You know, we are free. It's freedom. This idea of grace and being accepted before you've done something rather than the other way around really made me, you know, think think about my life and the way I was living it because I was the other way trying to, you know, feel like oh, I'm trying so hard but I'm never quite making it. I felt um, I had to do so much to be able to properly um, give thank to God because of this legalism that I was wrapped up in and just learning about His grace and His forgiveness uh, that came even if I wasn't doing what was right or you know, that he loved me no matter what. For years I struggled with uh, bitterness and uh, unforgiveness to others and uh, not being able to accept uh, the Lord's forgiveness for my sins I had done in the past. And um, I went forward at a week in prayer and at that moment it was like weights had, had lifted off me. And um, a sense of peace had came over me that I, that I do believe the Lord forgave me. It was like this huge burden was lifted off of me and I could finally just thank God and praise Him because I realized like the true extent and depth of His love for me. I was trying to build my life on the sinking sand and not on God, our rock. My identity, it doesn't lie in my past or in my works. Rather, it lies in what Christ did on the cross. Around September, October, I started going to a community group and actually like became a member. And my community group was absolutely amazing. They just like scooped me up, welcomed me with open arms. And like the first night, I just shared my like entire story with all of them, and they were just so loving to me. It was it was really amazing. From the moment I walked in the door, I felt like I found a home and a family that I had never found before in my life. The people here have welcomed me with open arms. They don't judge me by my past. They look at what Christ is doing in me, not what I have done to myself. You know, after a short while, I started to feel like I had just known them my entire life. Like, the friends that I have now are the best friends I've ever had in my, like, in my whole life. And as a man, been in a community group around guys like that, we're rooting for each other, we're praying for each other, we got each other's back. Uh, we've cried with each other. We've uh, gave each other wisdom. Uh, we pray for each other, put our hands on each other. We've done many things that, that kind of keep us as a whole, as a group, and try to be really tight-knit, uh, more like a family as well. 
it's really good for my walk personally to to know that um, I'm not alone in in my walk with God, and and I have brothers and sisters around me to to keep me uh, accountable and, and keep me kind of encouraged. I found so much beauty in this place of worship. I found it at the church. I found it on the parking lot. I found it at community group. And the love just goes on and on. At Jubilee, we value serving, not just inside the four walls of our church building, but in the community as well. It's so important to us that we not anchor our lives around serving ourselves, but giving ourselves away in service to others. Last September, we launched Jubilee, the lake location, and since then, God has been consistently adding people to us. We started community groups for the first time in January. People were meeting in each other's homes, growing in community, building deeper relationships with each other, and seeing God move. I've been amazed at how fast the transformation from strangers to friends and then friends to family has happened. It's been a quick and easy transformation and it's been awesome to see. So four years ago, our church was kind of in a messy place and Jubilee really served us well by coming in and helping us through a tough season and through transition. Uh, in that time, they were sending leaders, they were sending resources to really help us out. It was a big sacrifice, but in the end, God used it to impact our church in a big way. Jubilee has served us really well, uh, just as a fellow church in uh, New Frontiers and our family of churches. Uh, and it's thanks to you guys that today Living Hope is in a great spot, uh, both in St. Joe and Maryville. And God has really blessed us through your generosity and through your leaders uh, at Jubilee. I was lost with a broken heart. You bring me up, now I'm set apart. From the ash I am born again. Forever safe in the Savior's hand. The mission of Jesus didn't end when he ascended into heaven, but continued through the story of his church as documented in Acts and continues today. My hope for Jubilee Church going forward isn't that we would see ourselves just doing empty religious activities, but we would see that we are part of finishing the ministry of Jesus. Therefore, let's continue to love, continue to care, continue to serve, continue to share this great gospel and, and really reach the cities God's called us to reach. All that you saw there was a result of people being generous, willing to share, willing to give, and um, that, that was just a small piece of, of the effect. And, you know, with all of our locations combined, I think uh, we gave nearly like 930-something thousand dollars. Uh, almost 20% of that, about $180,000 was given uh, that didn't come to us. We, we gave it away. We gave it toward uh, to see other churches planted. We gave it to benevolence. We gave it to people in need. 
And it's just great to see that, that number continue to bump up. As, as we've grown as a church, we've not just wanted to uh, be generous in and of ourselves, but continue to be g- generous for others, for other churches, for other, for other people who are, who are not a part of us and want to continue to grow in that. It's just just amazing, amazing thing. And, uh, and as you can see, that it's, ble- it's having a ripple effect. For those of us here in the city location, in all of our locations, you, you saw people that you didn't know because they go to you know, other locations that you may not have met before. I mean, in that, if you, in that camera right there, there's Washington location and there's the lake location there. I know it's hard, but you can see them. If you just go there later, you can see them right in there. And they're, they're with us. And, and here, you guys at the lake in Washington, just all of us and together, working together, giving together, sacrificing together, loving together, making an impact. And, and we're not, we, we don't want to, um, you know, sit on our, hand, sit on our hands and, and just kind of wait for things to happen. But we, we want to be intentional with our generosity. And generosity is a holistic with our lives and our time and our energy. And we want to press forward and start more locations and more and plant more churches. And so we started a, a, a church planning fund a couple of years ago with the idea of raising a million dollars over 10 years. We're a couple of years into it, just over 100000 and when we start uh, another location next year, it'll take about 100000 to do a location. It takes about a quarter of a million to plant a church, a, a, what we'd say an autonomous church. That is not a Jubilee church outside of us because there's just more energy that goes into that. Um, but yeah, so it takes money. And we're, we're, we're wanting to take, receive an offering every year. And we do that here in September. So uh, today and, and next week, we'll be receiving that offering. And we would hope that if you call Jubilee Church home, that this is something that you would be eager to, that you'd be intentional in uh, giving toward. But I want to just, I want to say one last important thing about, just take a second here to, of why they were so generous. It, it, it was great There was great unity, there was great grace, there was great love, there was great boldness, and and also there was a great amount of trust. I mean, it's amazing to me. This last part of this verse, it just simply says that um, they sold a, this guy sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Just said, "Here, here you go, do what you want with it. You know, I need to see a statement, I don't need to see, I, you know, I don't, I'm not asking how, I just, I, I trust this great trust in leadership. And what God wants his church to be um, is he wants it to be a family that, that trusts each other, that grows in its trust each other, that's, that's transparent. And uh, there, there is that kind of trust. And, and you know, this is awkward for me to say things like that because I, I, you know, I realize like, you know, hey, you know, this is dependent on you trusting me or you trusting the elders. And, and what I want to let, all of us off the hook here for a second, because while I do think there's a great amount of of trust, it isn't ultimately trust in, it's trust in leadership, but there's, there's a greater person that we trust beyond that. Because this church was like 10 or 15,000, there were 12 apostles. There wasn't this intimate trusting relationship that everybody had. Impossible. Uh, this thing was just a few months old. It was 15,000 people. It wasn't like, oh, I know him because we used to play golf together and I trust him. It wasn't that kind of a trust. It was a trust in, in God. But because they trusted God, they were able to trust the leaders. See, every appeal uh, that the Bible puts out, the New Testament puts out for us to love each other, for us to trust each other, for us to respect each other, has nothing to do with us. 
So it says, husbands, love your wives, not because they're so lovely, but out of reverence for Christ. Hus- or wives, respect your husbands, not because they're respectable, but be- out of reverence for Christ. Submit to each other. Defer to each other. Count each other's interest as more significant than your interest. Why? Because it is? No. Out of reverence for Christ. Children, obey your parents. Out of reverence for Christ. Obey your governmental leaders. Because you voted them in? No. Because out of reverence for Christ. Paul said this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, you first gave to God and then you gave to us. And what he was saying there is like ultimately all of our giving isn't to a need, it isn't to a project, it isn't even to a church, it's, it's to God. The motivation, the, the, the thing behind the thing that you're giving to is, is, is God. The who behind the thing that you're giving to is God. So when I say there was great trust, it wasn't so much because, well, these guys were terrific. Because they weren't terrific. I mean, we'll learn here next week. They, 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 made, they had significant failures. But their trust was in God. And because they trusted God, they were able to trust their leaders. Now, leaders need to be trusted. We, we, we do not take for granted the trust that people give us. I am humbled by it. I am in awe of it. Um, and it's an amazing thing. And we, and we try to be as above reproach as we possibly can in all areas and uh, live open lives that way. But ultimately, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, trust me. I'm, I'm ultimately saying to you, we trust God. And, and to the degree that we trust God, will be, it will unlock generosity in this church for the benefit of others.